Hello, and thanks for tuning in to a brand new episode of Engage, a podcast brought to you by the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Hosted by Zach Cutler, CEO of Propel, our guests are going to explore accessibility and the role PR and communications professionals have in ensuring client and employer communications are accessible and inclusive. Joining Zach and sharing their insights and experiences is Sarah Brown-Frazier, Marketing and Communications Manager at Activity Alliance, Rachel Miller, Founder of All Things I See, and Jared Williams, Communications Manager at Bromford. All right, great to be here. Uh, My name is Zach Cutler. I'm the founder and CEO of Propel. I was interested to join this podcast about accessibility because accessibility, diversity, and inclusion are a few of the core values of Propel. Uh, And they're near and dear to my heart because I have a physical disability, so I wear leg braces to help me walk, Um, something I've had uh, since childhood, since I was born. And so I believe, you know, running a business is an opportunity um, to have a platform that gets a lot of good things done in addition to making profits. So obviously, you know, business is for profit, but it's not just about profit. And uh, this is one of the things uh, that we are proud to be doing at Propel. And so, uh, yeah, that's why I am excited to be on this podcast. Um, Handing over to Sarah, um, do you want to share a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. I'm Sarah and I lead on the marketing communications for a charity called Activity Alliance. And my, although my central role is obviously the charity's brand awareness and everything that involves marketing and communications, we actually found about 10 years ago that actually sport and leisure wasn't that great at inclusive communications. So I started sort of making it my mission to really make sport and leisure a more accessible and inclusive place in terms of communications. I also have lived experience. I'm a wheelchair user, but obviously as a professional in the in the industry, I really think that sometimes we really fail disabled people, especially in the industry. So um, it's been my mission for the last 10 years, and I hope it sort of progresses in terms of sport and leisure and every other sector going. Uh, Rachel? Hi, I'm Rachel Miller. I'm the founder of All Things I See. And I'm always interested in how we get the right information to the right people at the right time to help them do their jobs in terms of an internal communication perspective. And accessibility for me has two strings really to that bow. There's one, which is how do we make sure that we get the right information to the right people at the right time to help them do their jobs and amplify their voices back. But then also as also someone with with lived experience of hearing loss and hearing difficulty. It's great to have amazing content, but it's no good if your employees can't access it for whatever reason. If they can't understand it from a neurological perspective, or they have visual impairments or hearing impairments. So there's two, two sides for me when thinking about accessibility and the wonderful world of internal communication. Can we make sure that we can communicate well with our employees in terms of giving them access to the information they need. And then also, once it's out there, once the content is created, is it in the right format, in the right way for our people to really be able to understand what's going on? Okay, great. And how about you, Jared? Why is accessibility uh, an important issue to you? 
so I work for a, a not-for-profit housing association. And so I think primarily our customer base is is diverse and has a range of different people. And very much as Rachel has, has said, the idea of getting the right information to the right people, the right time and the right way is, is incredibly important. And ultimately, that's that's our job to communicate things effectively. And if we can't communicate to those different people in a different way, in a universal way, then we are failing at our responsibility, failing at our role, and our organisation is ultimately failing them. So I think, you know, it's, it's a big part of our brand in our organisation, but I just think being able to work in an accessible way to make sure people can get the information they need in the right way, that things are usable. I, I haven't got lift experience, but I see it every day in the work we do, and, and so for us, we just find that important. What people or events been your biggest influence in evolving your thinking about accessibility, Sarah? Oh, um, I mean, if I go back to why I became more interested in this kind of area of inclusive communications, I was at an employment conference once that was all about disabled people and employing more disabled people. And disabled people were part of that audience. They were being talked about and none of the information was accessible. So it really was a frustrating moment when a, a visually impaired person stood up and said, you're talking about me, but I can't read anything you're giving me. So at that moment, I thought, not on my watch, not on my watch, am I going to allow that to happen in the communications that I deliver and that my team delivers? And for me, good communications is inclusive is accessible. So actually, if we are going to really do honor to our trade, we have to make sure that we think more about our communications and who they reach and who they don't reach. So in terms of events, it's been really eye-opening in the last two years in terms of lockdown. Uh, the first few months, uh, I was inundated with requests of how do I make my online events inclusive and accessible to all these people we could reach? And, you know, there is always a pound sign involved as well, which is great news for a lot of businesses. But actually, in terms of communications, if we want to reach more people, then actually our events and information that we're putting out should be more inclusive anyway. So that was my eye opener. But I think ever since I've done that, I've been really interested in that field. Very interesting. Uh, and same question to you, Jared. What people or events have been your biggest influence in uh, evolving your thinking about this issue? Yeah, so I think it'd be completely open and honest, honest and transparent to say that one of the things that really brought it to the fore of our organisation, and I know we'll probably touch on it, is is when the um, public sector accessibility regulations in 2018 were kind of first being discussed. Um, and although um, there's kind of hot debate on whether or not we kind of legally as an organisation follow those, I think it just helped bring it to the fore in kind of consciousness of comms, consciousness of organisations that accessibility was was um, maybe something that was being ignored, left on the kind of on the sidelines, and it was really something we should be talking about. So I think kind of that made the discussion of accessibility mainstream. It, it it made it yes a legal discussion, but and it's disappointing that that was the catalyst. It had to be a legal discussion, but ultimately it's just had nothing but positive repercussions. So that kind of introduction of those regulations, I don't think, can be underestimated. And I think ultimately as well, kind of being ethical practitioners, uh, we've already mentioned this is about engaging in all our audiences, and by not thinking about accessibility, we are. We're marginalizing people. We're discriminating people. We're saying to some people, we don't want you to have access to this. We don't want you to have information. So, so kind of those things have really influenced me. I'd say particular events 
you know, many years ago, we did um, we did large events with our colleagues. Uh, we had one colleague who's um, who was as hard of hearing, and and so we had to do extra effort, if you will, more than any other colleague, to make sure that that person could engage with what we were doing, and that included, you know, hiring kind of sign language interpreters to to be on stage, making sure that every video we produced had um, subtitles that were on an iPad. Um, and the the effort to do that was ultimately quite large, but it made my whole team think about the importance of how that one person, if we didn't do all that, could could really engage in the day and really understand kind of the message we're trying to, trying to put across. And I still see it now. So an event happened to me quite recently, a discussion I had with a quite a senior leader in our organisation who wanted to send out a, an internal email. They basically designed their own content um, and sent it to us and said, there you go, comms. I'm doing a job for you. Put that oh, in for me. Oh, we love that, don't we, Jared? <laughs> <laughs> we do. There you go. I, I'm not needed anymore. Thank you very much. Um, what they'd produced was not accessible, and that was flagged by loads of members of, of my team. And when we engaged that person to say, look, thank you for all your efforts, but we're going to redesign this and do it in an accessible way, their response was actually, well, how many people in this organisation are actually disabled? Do we really need to do this? Because unless you give me the numbers, I can't see the, the benefit. And that shocked me slightly because um, we were really, really positive around accessibility for our, for our customers, so externally facing, making sure we were being accessible. But it was that strange thing then. And when it talked about our colleagues, it's like we forgot it. Because these these were internally, they, they can make do. And if there is anyone, I'm sure they'll flag it, rather than making it part of kind of our every day. And so I think from that point on, I mean, that brought it alive to my team and we've done nothing but make sure accessibility is, is kind of by default and we champion it at the start of every kind of discussion with a with a colleague in the business from that point on. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, also, if you think about from a practicality standpoint, you know, there's a billion people in the world with some kind of disability. And... Just from a purely economic standpoint, I mean, unleashing all of the talent pool uh, of people that have a disability is a tremendous economic force. And not having the basic accessibility requirements that would allow a lot of those people to be productive in, uh, you know, in job environments and whatnot is... Aside from being the right thing to do, it's just purely the smart thing to do. And uh, I think that, 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 that that's, yeah, very important to remember. Um, Rachel, do you have any thoughts about sort of what the, you know, the importance is of opening up different platforms, different communications to, uh, to be more accessible? Sure. I think you're right in terms of the numbers they're, they're quite shocking so we know one in eight people globally have some form of disability and therefore they struggle to access content and communication and if we are relying on our people you know through through the lens i look through as in an internal communicator if we know that our employees are struggling to access content and communication then it is impacting their ability to do their jobs well and to thrive in their work so from an from a human perspective, it's the right thing to do is to focus on accessibility, but also commercially as well. If we're not creating the conditions for our employees to thrive, we're not helping them in terms of giving accessible content or even being able to understand and recognize the different disabilities that exist inside our organizations. You know, it's not just 
visual or hearing, it's mobility, it's cognitive, it's speech, it's neural. You have to plan for that. It's the, it's the right thing to do. And it's from a commercial perspective, it's an important thing to do as, as well as from the employee engagement side and being ethical in the way that we're treating our people. Yeah, that's a great point. I believe that you know the world is being increasingly democratized in every sense of the word in terms of the power being broken down from central structures into you know that power going into the hands of everyday people, everyday workers. And that's one of the benefits that we've seen from the pandemic is the great equalizer of putting a lot of that power back in the hands of workers and away from the central hands of the executives, you know, so that people can be the owner of their own schedule. They can be the owner of their commute, of their, you know, work-life balance. Sarah, do you have any thoughts about how the pandemic may affect accessibility? Has it helped advance things more quickly? What are any thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting time when we hit into lockdown, especially, and everyone went sort of online. It kind of exasperated the barriers that already exist for many people out there. So actually, there's still a world of people who are digitally excluded. So we can talk disability, but actually there is poverty that affects that as well. So we really need to think about communications about people, not just disabled people. So we Microsoft does a lot of work uh, um, in terms of talking about permanent, temporary and situational barriers to communication so at some point in all of our lives we will have some barriers to our communication and that could have been during lockdown where we couldn't afford the data for the communications that we were we being sent or you know it, it we were being sent it digitally rather than, you know, direct mail. So I think there's a lot of work done in terms of thinking about people in terms of permanent. So if you think about hearing loss, for example, Rachel might talk about it better than me, but hearing loss permanent, you might have somebody who's permanently deaf, but temporarily might have tinnitus or situational. They might not actually be able to hear something in a, in a loud swimming pool, for example. So thinking about communications and the barriers that you create is not just about somebody being disabled. We've got to think about our audiences as people and what they might not be able to affect or reach in that situation. So when we take the disability element out, actually we think a lot positively more about actually all the audiences that we reach or don't reach. From a pandemic perspective, as somebody who lip reads constantly, I didn't receive a hearing aid until June 2020. And I remember going out we were in lockdown and I remember as I constantly rely on lip reading to help me listen, I didn't realise how bad my hearing impairment had got. And then not being able to have access to people's mouths when I went to the grocery store or to the chemist, I came home in absolute floods of tears and said to my husband, I can't communicate because it was noisy outside and I, I struggle when there's background noise. And that tool to help me communicate had been completely removed. And I've never felt so so frustrated as a professional communicator in my inability to be able to communicate because I couldn't hear. Since having a hearing aid, it has unlocked my world, but it's right that people wear masks, I believe. But unless they're see-through, which often they're not, it's made, the pandemic has made people who are, you know, there's over 400 million people uh, in the world with severe hearing loss. So this is not small numbers. And the pandemic has impacted us in huge numbers of ways even now I'm trying to lip read on a screen and and squares are tiny you know it's it's 
the way that we're having to communicate in that digital world now has meant without subtitles, I've logged into conferences and had to and log out if the audio is not great or Clubhouse, for example, that's not accessible for people at all. So all of these great digital platforms that have been launched and championed during the pandemic actually have excluded a heck of a lot of people as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Because the pandemic, it may have helped certain people with mobility impairments, but hurt certain people with uh, hearing impairments or other impairments. Um, so how do we get creative about pushing forward accessibility? I suppose accessibility is more a, a creative challenge rather than a challenge to people's creativity. It means that we need to think better and, and think earlier about how we do things. So we've talked a lot about, um, we've used the word inclusivity quite a lot in this conversation. It's the idea of maybe just above accessibility is inclusivity. inclusivity. And I think parallel to that, we talk about universability as well. That idea that we shouldn't be designing for, I think, as you mentioned, Sarah, whether someone's got a situational uh, challenge or there is a temporary or permanent accessibility need. Actually, we need to design for, for absolutely everyone in every circumstance we can. So no one is is feeling neglected. I know, Rachel, you used the stat earlier, one, one in eight. I think the stat I tend to use is one in five was the one I've got at 20% of the UK um, have some form of disability. And that doesn't include kind of temporary disability. And then when you think about things as well, like um, the UK reading age being uh, an average of nine, I think is the most recent update stat, might be a newer one, but kind of nine, year, you know, average reading age of nine, it goes beyond just kind of what's the colour contrast or does it have a transcript? It's also how we write things. In my time, I think, I think the challenge is real. I think I've seen it taken on in quite a positive way. Uh, lots of organisations need to do far more uh, and have far better ways of, of kind of how they follow a process. But kind of the, the idea of trying to make something universal to everyone that can be useful to everyone is, is important. It's a challenge in terms of, you know, how do we keep something looking ultimately pretty? How do we make language, you know, the written text sound engaging? But none of those things mean they have to become boring or, you know, it just has to be black and white and it just has to have basic words. We can still create compelling stories. We can still tell compelling stories just in a way that's universal. You mentioned um, also, Sarah, about kind of the idea of situational point of view as well. It's like a video with subtitles. It's it's great for someone who needs those subtitles because of a disability, but also ultimately it's great because someone who is in a very noisy environment can engage in your content still. Um, and I think we just need to start from there. Think of it as a challenge to our creativity rather than a creative challenge. And Zach, I think a key to the answer to your question is there needs to be more of us with lived experience actually helping the creativity of these products and, and platforms. So I'm always shocked about the low representation of people with lived experience actually working in the industry. So if we do more monitoring and actually helping people develop these products and services, it's, you know, we... It's a win-win for everybody because actually people have been involved in co-designing those. So we've nipped the problems in the, in the bud quite early on. But I'm always shocked actually how PR, comms, marketing does not have enough disabled people working in it. Yeah, and I'd, I'd probably add to, add to that as well. Um, 
you know, in the kind of a lot of a lot of the stuff we keep turning back to turns to be let's talk about digital, let's talk about websites because, like I said, that's the bit that's been championed maybe during the pandemic and with the regulations. But it's, it's far more than far more than that. And so, one thing we can take from people who who focus on accessibility in a digital sense is the amount of user research, user testing they do. So it's your point, Sarah. It's not just as well for those places where maybe they haven't recruited kind of um, maybe as inclusive as they'd like. Um, that doesn't mean they can't still do that. They can't still reach out to their customers, reach out to their their colleagues and make sure they're engaged those people with lived experience to share their challenges, share their frustrations, sense check and test things with them. So, it, you know, it ultimately has some of that lived experience influencing it. It might also be that we're not putting our hands up. It it might be, you know, I've had hearing loss since birth and it's got progressively worse as I've got older. I've been blogging about internal comms for 12 years and it wasn't, well, it, it, actually for 13 years, but 12 years in was I put my hand up and said, I've got a hearing loss and I have hearing impairment and started writing about it and blogging about it and trying to encourage my clients to learn more about it. And I realised that, there wasn't a deliberate act not to talk about it. I just hadn't understood that the power actually of being open and saying, you know, well, I'm a communicator who really struggles to communicate and I teach and mentor and consult with internal communicators constantly, but I really struggle. So it may well be that there's lots of us who are hidden, who are working in PR and comms, but we haven't thought to share our experiences or we haven't thought to think about how we could help other people by being honest and showing up and pointing people towards advice and guidance to to help them. And I certainly count myself as one of those people until a year ago where I just wasn't talking about the fact I have hearing loss because it was just life. I didn't realise that it would be useful for other people to to read about it. Yeah, I also think it's really important that uh, venture capital is opened up to more... um, accessible uh, thinking and giving funding to more entrepreneurs with disabilities. I mean, if you look at Crunchbase, which is sort of the uh, go-to site for venture capital rounds and which companies got funding, there's tons of diversity investments that every VC wants to show off. And there's a million categories, but there's no category for disability zero category for it, which absolutely makes no sense. And if you can have more funding going to more founders and entrepreneurs with disabilities, they will create more tools uh, and more companies that really push the issue forward. So I think that that's a really important uh, thing as well. At that point, I think... um that there is some really interesting work that could be done there in the world of kind of ESG. So at my organization, Bromford, we have ESG backed loans and investment that comes with a criteria around various things that could be diversity of the organization. As an example, it could be a, a challenge that there needs to be more, like you say, finance backed to is the organization making a commitment to accessibility from the very base level of does it meet WCAG 2.1 AA or above um, as kind of a thing you can measure through to, you know, do they have a strategy to how to make sure that they embed um, inclusivity in the culture of the organization? So I think, you know, with with the growth of ESG, you might find that more finance can be linked to this challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I believe I'm one of the only tech founders in the world with a physical disability that's been backed by a top venture capital firm. And that makes me very sad. That doesn't make me happy. Well, it makes me both. But the issue needs to be um, moved forward. So I couldn't agree more. My last question for each of you is, what's next? Uh, what more can be done? What can be done differently um, to change the culture and the attitude toward accessibility? Sarah, why don't you start us off? <laughs> well, as well as getting more people involved and more people with lived experience, and actually allyship is a huge thing, especially in 2022. Um, actually, you know, you don't have to be disabled to talk about us you, and actually back us and make sure that, you know, we are, we are represented wholly. I think what's next is we think about communications and marketing in a different way, that actually we don't just think pound signs and and um you know all oh, that's going to cost me in terms of accessibility we think actually um we think inclusion first so more people can actually actually have access to the communications that we put out um inclusion first would be my sort of mantra uh rachel what what's next what can be done to improve accessibility i think it's a, a mindset shift for me it's not an hr thing it's not a comms thing, it's a business thing. We need to focus at a business level in terms of how do we create accessible content and amplify the voices of our employees. And part of that for me is, is education, certainly. So giving them toolkits, templates, advice and guidance. And we're fortunate there's a heck of a lot out of there. But you need to then turn it into action. So how do, how do we embed that education in, inside our organizations and people that we work with in terms of here's what we can do today to help make sure that we are being super accessible as an organization and then set yourself some targets. So what will it look like in 12 months time? What are we trying to do? And listening to colleagues with lived experience is certainly one of my recommendations of how to move that conversation forward from just a sense of this would probably be a really good thing to do to then turn it into action and go, right, what is next? What are we going to do differently as a result? What are we going to start, stop, continue to help us really, truly focus on accessibility? And Jared, what's next? What can be done to improve attitude and culture toward accessibility? I kind of think echoing everything that's, that's just been said, accessible by default is is where we should start where should we, we should begin everything needs to be inclusive first as has been mentioned i think most if i'm honest i think when i talk to a lot of communication teams they get it they kind of understand it um certainly in the public sector and certainly i start to see more not profits and private sector getting on board in fact some prop not uh some private sector organizations seem to be uh, fantastic at really championing inclusivity and accessibility in, in their communication work. But I think this is going beyond the idea of comms team making communication accessible, you know, digital team make website accessible. Um, it's been mentioned, you know, marketing, there's one step, but also how how's every other colleague in the organisation doing this? How many times do people send an email out that is confusing, it's jargonistic, it's, it's got, you know, generally poor formatting, um, simple things like that, helping people understand the impact of a small change will, will help us introduce it. I mean, real basic example, certainly not a lived experience as, as we've discussed, but by nature of being short-sighted, I have very slight red and green colorblind. That means that when someone uses red or green whiteboard pens, just in that circumstance, I can't read what's on the board just because it's, it's just too faint for me. 
things like that, no one will ever know unless I have those conversations, unless I talk about that and tell them. So I think we just need to share that. We need to become champions. We need to make sure uh, it's part of our everyday discussions and that we help people who aren't kind of on the front line, if you will, understand um, their impact. I always write in green. I'm going to, I'm not going to use green. I, I didn't know that. Thank you for that. I will switch to black. And my, just my last point, I think as we're um, advancing into Web 3.0 or the metaverse or whatever you want to call it, there should be a huge focus on accessibility from the beginning and setting standards. Because I know that when the internet was created, there was a lot of, it was sort of the wild west and everyone was a cowboy or cowgirl doing whatever they wanted. And there weren't those standards set from the beginning. So as we develop into the next version of the web, uh, that should be a central thing for sure. Um, so in terms of tools and resources, what recommendations do you guys have? Um, Jared? Yeah, I think I think there are lots of kind of tools, lots of resources out there right now. I mean, if you just Google accessibility, um, particularly from GovUK, you'll get loads of pages from the Government Communication Service and Government Digital Service that explain what accessibility is and, and how you can do things like better social media campaigns. I mean, Government Communication Service do have a great page on making better um, social content. In terms of social, there's a Facebook group I'd really recommend. I didn't long join it. It's set up by uh, someone called Alex Heinrich. Um, it's called Accessible Social, and it's basically communicators just discussing great ways of making content more accessible, sharing webinars. I know there's um, a company called Text Help that have got some free webinars and a digital accessibility boot camp coming up. And in terms of kind of tools, I mean, what I, what I would say, we mentioned Microsoft earlier, and actually Microsoft are you know, massive champions, I think, of, of uh, inclusivity and accessibility. And, and even to the simplest of using Microsoft Word right now does a great job of calling out things that are impactful from an accessibility point of view. I'd say inclusivity as well. It spots uh, places where your language maybe isn't as inclusive as it should be rather than just accessibility. And I think if you are working in the digital space and you use Google Chrome, there are many, many extensions you can get for Google Chrome from the simple things like screen reader software. So you can experience what someone using a screen reader um, is experiencing from like what do your emojis actually sound like when someone reads them back, things like that, through to places that detect the colors on your site and, and various other elements like that. So uh, I won't kind of, I can share some probably in the show notes, some of the links, the ones I use, but there are some great Chrome extensions out there to really help you understand how digital accessibility can be improved. Uh, Sarah, what tools and resources do you recommend? So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't plug our own organization's work that we've done in this field. And we've got, so if you go to activityalliance.org.uk forward slash communications, we've done a lot of resources and fact sheets on inclusive communications. Um, so just go to that page and you'll be able to download those for free. And Rachel? There's two that I've discovered recently that I've been using. So the first is communicationaccess.co.uk and it's free training. And in 45 minutes, you learn a heck of a, heck of a lot about accessibility and the importance of clear communication. And as part of doing that training, it's funded by the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists and a whole bunch of charities. And you can become accredited as, as an individual or as an organization, and you can re-accredit yourself every 12 months, which I think is really nice. It's not just a, 
here's a tick box, here's a certificate. It's committing to accessibility training. So that's communication access and also communication matters, which is a brilliant website full of resources, which as a professional communicator, I find really super helpful. So those two um, are great for me. And I have to recommend propelmypr.com, which is my company. And I recommend it because we are the only PR software that has built accessibility features. Um, we have a screen reader, we have contrast adjustment, we have um, dyslexia friendly text and many other features that um, help uh, vision impaired and other individuals with uh, disabilities. Um, all of that said, thank you guys very much. I think this was an excellent, uh, excellent show and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks for listening to this conversation exploring accessibility. We'll include links to all the tools and resources referenced by our guests in the show notes. And if you have any tips or advice that has enabled you to make sure your communications are accessible, then please keep the conversation going and share them on Twitter using the hashtag CIPR Engage.